Hello, and welcome to the first episode of the new Africa Legal Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Sharisa Raja, a partner at law firm Faskin, based in Johannesburg. We'll be discussing the highly relevant topic of the future of work, with a specific focus on the COVID-19 impact. Sharisa is recognized as a leading expert in employment law and a prominent commentator on future of work issues, such as remote working, employee wellness, and structure. And really, Sharisa, great to have you joining us today in the studio. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Well, this is a bit like the future of work because uh, what we're doing uh, this podcast, I think, talking to each other from opposite ends of the world. To be very honest, I'm currently sitting on my dress with my laptop on my dressing room table in my bedroom because my husband's kicked me out of our shared study. So yes, very, very much <laughs> a new way of working. It's a new way of working. And I think it's been a learning curve for so many of us over the last couple of weeks as we've improved our own our technical knowledge. Um, I mean, a lot of us have gone on to Microsoft Teams uh, at uh, high speed, um, increased the size of our laptops, got better uh, cell phones, everything to try and cope with what has been going on around us. That's very true. I think that the technology companies and the employment lawyers are doing very well in the crisis that we're in. So, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, Now, just to, to, to take a step back, when we talk about the concept, the future of work, we're not really talking about working from home. What do you actually mean by that? Um, that is such a great starting point. So the future of work takes the current workplace. It looks to what's worked in the workplace, what the brand proposition is, what the value proposition is for employees. And it then looks to where the, the workplace wants to go or rather put better where the business wants to go. Based on that, it then works backwards to skill map um, a workplace to get the right um, skills um, and the right um, mindsets into the workplace. Now, to do that and to skill map in that manner, you would look to upskilling and reskilling your your employees. And the way we do that is by the HR method of organizational design, which requires observation, empathy, etc., to build a value proposition for the business that allows it to achieve its goals. The next step after that is as a consequence of any revolution, and this is the fourth industrial revolution, there's always bloodshed. So the consequences, at some level, there will be jobs lost. Um, At the Chief Human Resources um, Conference I attended, I think it was two months or so ago, McDonald's said that what they did with their talents after they automated the the, um, order experience is that they made them client or customer experience managers for their stores or their restaurants. and, and we would essentially be looking then at what opportunity there is in the workplace to absorb skills that cannot be upskilled or cannot be reskilled within the portfolio of skills that are available. If they can't be fitted into one of those two categories, then they, they very likely stand to be made redundant. In my experience, having done rolled out future of work projects for a number of clients across big sectors and industries, very few jobs are lost in the process. Very often, there are always opportunities, um, even in the atypical format, so fixed-term contracts or consultancy opportunities. Um, one of my clients took a, um, um, a really um, 
manual labor team and turn them into uh, managers of their own little companies. And they were able to provide the same services, but as suppliers to the company, as opposed to employees, because they didn't need those services to be held in-house. So there are a number of opportunities and we could, we could really use it to make social impact rather than just willy-nilly making jobs redundant, paying a minimum severance and sending people off on their merry way. So once you've reskilled your workplace, you then use the technology, which is a really critical component to the future of work rollout, to augment the workplace. Now, looking at the organizational design, looking at where you've reskilled and upskilled, you will then place technology to improve efficiencies, to streamline operations. And you'd be surprised to know that other than the capital investment of the technology and the and the uh, cost of rolling or processing out this this future of work plan. After that, because of technology, you actually save a great deal of money. You save it in the sense of, based on your organizational design, you also structure your employee value proposition. So it may well be that employees don't care for um, uh, massive offices or big skyscraper buildings. Um, and that's where you start looking at saving costs in terms of leases, because you might want hot desking or you might want... Mm-hmm. Um, just boardroom opportunities and everybody working remotely other than that. Um, and, and you know, th- there's this concept that technology is unsafe and it's expensive. And a huge part after the technology then is to dispel the notions and give the reassurances to employees. And, and that's where employee wellness comes in, to retrain managers to manage in the new workplace to reassure employees that their jobs are not on the line, to inst- um, to kind of reassure in, in the sense of reinstilling faith and workplace morale that you are good to invest in us as, as a company because we've got you. You know, um, we are going into the future and we're taking you with us on our journey kind of thing. Um, and that in a nutshell is why I say working from home is not future of work, but it is a huge benefit as a consequence of future of work because how, why work from home? Mm-hmm. Go move to the Netherlands and enjoy some beautiful scenery there. <laughs> I don't really mind where you work, just stay in the time zone so it makes business sense. <clears throat> and now what's happened with COVID, it's almost like we've all been forced to take a deep breath, stop and think, Go home, think about your life, and how can you do this differently? How can we do this better? How can we be more efficient? In, I know that it's a devastating health emergency, but from a business point of view, it has almost given us a unique opportunity. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, when I talked about the last component about reassuring people that it's okay, um, traditional leadership baby boomer leadership will tell you that we need to have human connection and mm. you know we we need the office for sanity and stability and you know it's important to have um a place of work for people to be reassured that you're a legitimate entity the covid-19 pandemic sending everybody home in a state of de- declared national disaster and watching companies particularly at senior levels of leadership realize that you can use a Cisco Webex or a Zoom call and it might not be the same as a handshake but heck it might be hell of a lot better too um has really been the boom we need, particularly in a jurisdiction like South Africa, to roll out future of work on an expedited basis. Because we're now Mm. looking to cut cut costs everywhere. We're talking about reducing salaries, taking away discretionary spend. 
well, how, how about that big fat building with those big, beautiful paintings and statues? How about you take that away, send people home and pay people 100% of their salaries for the work they're still doing for you? It's just a new way of looking at things and forcing us out of our comfort zones to reassess and realign out what's actually important in the workplace. Um, I think from a, a business structure point of view, it can almost force businesses out rats um, and where there's been resistance to change, maybe encourage people to to start thinking that they can actually do it. What do you think? Absolutely. I, I think I think you've summarized it so well and so eloquently because that is exactly what it is. Um, at the South African Board for People Practices, one of the HR executives who was, who was speaking called it the Great Reset. Um, mm -hmm. Now, people have been saying on LinkedIn a lot of things about COVID-19 and there is a huge screaming outcry for, for remote working. There always mm. has been, but business sees that hey I can I can still generate revenue remotely without having an office space yeah. um, um, and, and, and and this is okay and hopefully it's my it's my hope that management senior traditional tenured management that have come into the office every day for 30 years and put on a suit and you know understood the etiquette of office presence understand the difference in younger generations. I think in South Africa, there's a very distinct nuance from the rest of the world. Um, old, I, I'm the first one to say this is a global economy. This is a global marketplace. And when we talk about job availability, we're talking about it without borders. And, and that's how I live and, and practice and advise in employment law. However, we can't do it oblivious to South Africa's nuances, because right now, if, if you look at what, what COVID-19 has done to our economy, we need people to have 100% salaries. We can't afford our GDP to decline. Mm -hmm. However, we can only work with available revenue. Therefore, cutting salaries is a lot better an outcome than making people redundant or retrenching employees. So South Africa's climate, our economy would dictate that um, remote working is an obvious choice. Why? I mean, it's not just the lease, it's the associated cost of the lease, the insurance, the the electricity, the water consumption, the handyman um, costs, the cleaning costs, all these things could be repurposed to getting the right skills in. And, and that brings me to the last point, then I'm going to stop talking, I promise, is that, <laughs> is that employees, if you want to make this work, you need to attract the right talent. Sadly, the right talent is your entrepreneurial people that have not been socialized by the traditional workplaces coming out of universities, considering whether oh. to become entrepreneurs or get caught up in the trappings of a, a corporate ladder waiting to climb to become that director at whatever company, you know. And and if you want to attract that talent, and this is what I say, and sometimes I say it to scare people into just waking up, is that you can either have your biggest competitor being the entrepreneurial mind innovating your business, or that person can become the entrepreneur sitting in Dubai competing with your business in South Africa whilst you're struggling with mm. the social ills in South Africa. You've got to choose your poison, and I assure you that it's actually not poison, but you need to get there to understand that it can actually be your bread. Um, and, 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 I, and I hope that with that kind of fear mentality, traditional thought leadership changes and, and comes around post-lockdown to say, hey, you know what? That wasn't half bad. Um, 
And also the travel time that it takes away from getting into an off, particularly in Johannesburg, my goodness, the, oh, no. the, the commute in, in Cape Town, the commute into an office, the, the traffic, the school runs for people with, with little kids in schools. It's, it's insane. So that, that travel time becomes the time that families can spend eating meals together, checking up on kids' homework. It just, there's so much sanity gained from just breaking away from the traditional way of doing things on the logic that it's the way we've always done it. You know, Sharice, you talk like that. As a newsroom manager for many years, I've had so many conversations, especially with senior female journalists, about how to manage their lives. Um, and and especially the whole children thing. And I, I, one example I always use, I always say the, 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 the current construct, the way of we get up and go into work, is not really a, a system that has been made for women. Um, no. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't work for women. It doesn't work for women with kids. So maybe now as we see the equalizing of the, the genders in the workplace um, and, the, and what COVID has done, we can actually start seeing a realignment of the workplace to be more uh, fit for purpose, if you can say, for everybody and, and not just for one gender or uh, one, one ra- uh, race of person. You know, future of work uh, ideology benefits youngsters who need work because it creates opportunities to gig services, which is a, a whole different component to this thing. Um, it also creates the opportunity for women to not have to choose between being present for their children and having careers. And, and you know, when you think about the lockdown, as soon as the lockdown um, happened, we had a surge in gender-based violence issues. Now, what does that tell you about the economic buying power of the female in the in the nuclear family situation kind of household? It tells you mm-hmm. that these people are at the, at the mercy of the breadwinners. So let's change that. Let's give them work. I mean, you know, we talk about jobs and we talk about job creation. Why don't we just gig non-core services? Create work opportunities and let women do it between picking up their kids and cooking. If, if if a woman chooses to stay at home and raise her kids, who says she doesn't want to have economic buying power at the same time? Um, I, I my personal choice was I, I chose to stay in practice for as long as I have, purely because I had I, I became a mom. My my firstborn I had when I was twenty six, and my son I had when I was thirty one, and and it was difficult. And I thought there was no job that would allow me to be as present as I desire to be for my children. Um, so I, I chose to, I mean, selling time by the hour and then disrupting price means that I'm selling a lot of time for a lot less than what it's worth, which means I'm constantly working. But I can constantly work at the ballet, at the netball, at the swimming. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else they do anymore. I've just lost track. I just go like a zombie. <laughs> well, I, you know, I think of myself and I've got a similar example. You know, I've written no, uh, three novels and all of them, people often say, when do you write these books? Well, I'm a woman and I have spare time at between four and six in the morning. And yes. I know a lot of a lot of others like me. You know, that's when we can work. Uh, yeah. Outside the, when the family's sleeping. Why yeah. can't we do it in the new in the with the future of work? How interesting. It's not, it's not because either of us are sexist and we don't believe in co-parenting. Quite frankly, my husband, who is German and, 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 and tells me that I should have been the German one and he should have been the submissive Indian wife, um, will tell you that I'm pretty strong-willed, is the kind word, of, a version of what he describes me as. But it's that at the end of the day, when you, as a woman, you become a mother before your child is born, right? And 
when you look at that child, you realize that you don't want to miss anything, not because your husband's useless or he can't do it the same way as you can, probably can't, but you know what I mean, is mm. that we don't, we don't want to miss out. So we choose to walk away from the career so that we can, you know, be there for them because it's so gratifying. But it doesn't mean we don't want both. It doesn't mean that we don't believe we can have both. But there's this idea that women are scared to ask. You know, there's so many initiatives around women empowerment globally. Um, if you look at uh, Colleen Larson put, put together the Boardwalk, which is essentially a platform to allow women or encourage companies to allow women more seats on boards. Um and I thought it was fascinating because in my personality, in my world, if I wanted a seat on a board, I'd ask. But how many women are scared to do that, to be seen to be aggressive or, uh, I don't know, robust or un- unappealing mm. to the workplace, you know, incompatible to the, 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 the hierarchical structures? Future of Work tells you you can be your own boss, like sell your time, gig your time, stay in permanent employment, earn your living and you do you, whatever that is. How interesting. You know, we could talk about this women issue and the future of work because I just I think that the two match up so well. But I I would like to draw you over now into your skill set, which is employment law and what what going forward, some of the issues that employers might be up against. Um, Can we just to talk about some of the technical stuff? What are the options that are available to employers? I mean, I'm looking at an issue like, is it wrong that employers are using annual leave in their response to COVID-19, for instance? It is the most generous opportunity that employers have had to show humanity to employees in this period of time. Because... Mm. and I, and I think it was it hasn't been properly if employees are walking around under the misconception that they they've their annual leave has been exploited or abused and then the issue is that employers are not communicating uh, from a perspective of understanding the employee's knowledge of employee relations laws now mm-hmm. when the pandemic broke out we were in march if you run an annual leave cycle from January to December, so on a calendar year, because it's a 12-month cycle that you accrue annual leave days, and let's mm-hmm. say, worst-case scenario, the employees have only gotten the statutory minimum or under the Basic Conditions of Employment Act, so um, 15 working days or 21 consecutive days leave, right? They accrue leave as they tender service. If I have given you the 21 consecutive days, I am advancing you leave that you have not as yet accrued. So I'm, mm. and, and, I, and I do that on a paid basis at this point, unless I've consulted with you and agreed or consulted to implement changes to your, your remuneration. I'm doing it on your full pay as it sits immediately prior to the lockdown. Now that means essentially I'm paying you to stay at home. If you can remote work, brilliant. But if you can't remote work, then I'm essentially paying you on a special basis. Um, yes, you'll lose your annual leave for the year, but I think that's a small price to pay. And, and I think it, employees need to understand that it's it's a give and take. If they don't if they don't oh, want that, yes. the other is. There has to be give and take at this time because I mean we all can see what's happening to the economy and the economies of the world. People have to uh, give a little, take a little, and it's going to be a, a huge effort to get us all back to normal, whatever normal is going to be at the end of this. Uh, but what happens if if an employee doesn't want to pay back the annual leave? They've, they're sitting at home, they've had time to think, and they decide they want out. What do they do then? 
The employer has recourse under the Basic Conditions of Employment Act to deduct um, any monies due to the uh, employer from the last pay of the employee in his or her ah. last service. So, so that's fine. But I also hope that employers have signed the requisite agreements or put in place the uh, proper undertakings that they can claw back contractually mm. in addition to by operation of law. I, I hope that it's properly drafted so that the employees understand and the employers have recourse because at this point, as we go back, employers are going to need the revenue and the cost saving and to be prudent with the, the money they currently have in their reserves. So I, I would hope that they've put those things in place. Now, if an employer can't afford to confer annual leave, what exactly are the government options that they've got? So there have been a, firstly, the government was very good and very diligent in coming out with the benefit scheme. They've availed 40 billion rand in what mm. we what, what is defined as the C19 TERS scheme. TERS stands for Temporary Employee Employer Relief Scheme. It is a, a novel scheme for, for South Africa because it, it, come, it sits or it's administered by the Unemployment Insurance Fund. Under that, you have um, the um, annual earning income threshold of 17,700 rand. It's circa 17,700. So it's about um, 17,712, I think, a month. You then get a minimum of our national minimum wage, which is 3,500 rand, or against a sliding scale of 38 to 60% of the maximum cap of 17,000 rand. And that's caused a bit of confusion. But the simple answer is if you earn more than 17,000 rand, the maximum you can get out against that sliding scale is 38% of the 17,000 rand amount, which comes out to about 6,500 rand. Um, there, there, were, there were two or three tries. Um, there were amendments to the Gazette, and that's where we finally sit. It's being administered. I, I want to... Re- dispel the notions that, oh, it's the unemployment insurance fund, we'll never get money out of it. Not true. Um, government and the UIF commissioners, Tabojo Marupeng has been very vocal in social media. He's been interviewed by the SABC, by Eusebius McKaiser just yesterday um, as well. And he's saying that he knows that there are issues with other traditional claims like maternity and that sort of thing, but there's commitment and there's there's um, uh, mm. capacity to process these claims so that employees get it. But the nuance is that the employer applies and the employer then gets that money um, and the employer pays it out to the employees. Um, the second benefit is, and this would apply post-lockdown, if you want to put people on short time, there's also the Section 12.1b amendment to the Unemployment Insurance Act where people can claim for lost hours worked um, during a period of short time. So there are quite a few mechanisms that people can use and employers can use to access funding and to make the, and to cushion the blow of, uh, through this whole exercise. I mean, it, it's it's been quite a phenomenal thing to see how quickly the government has moved on this as well. Um, and hats off to them for that. Absolutely. Uh, just today we we got a copy of the. Um, uh, Gazettes issued by uh, government to date, and I, I stand to be corrected, but there were over twelve to fifteen separate gazettes dealing with essential services, movement of people, um, all sorts of things. And I think the government, even in C nineteen terms, when the president says, "You know, we will make mistakes and we will rectify it," mm. so what? As long as they rectify it, um, and you're getting back some aid or relief, six and a half thousand rand per employee is a lot better than nothing at all. Um, mm. So, so I, I say hats off to them. They've managed to find the funds to to um, fund this thing.
Now, what, what happens when if the lockdown is extended? Can an employee move from being, for instance, on paid leave to government benefits or if there's an extension? Absolutely. Exactly right. That's the answer. Oh, great. <laughs> well, that is a relief, I think, for many as they watch this lockdown go on and on and on. Um, but now also, what happens if an employee gets sick while you're on paid annual leave during lockdown? That is so, that is a perfect question because if you are on annual leave and you get sick, you then shift from annual leave to sick leave. Now, the sick leave cycle is a period of three years and it confers 36 days paid leave to you. So when you place, and, and, this, and this is something that employers really need to internalize, when you place an employee on annual leave, you need to budget for if this person contracts the coronavirus, you need to add another 36 days into your reserve for that person, um, because that would be the obligation unless you can't afford it and you're going to consult to, to change those terms and conditions. Now, many of our listeners are beyond South Africa and in the rest of Africa. Um, and while they watch South Africa and, and there's a, a lot that we can learn from what's happening right now, um, can you talk a little bit about the broader context on how we're going to survive this on the continent? Is this a, will this become a political issue where people have to start thinking very deeply about who they make their leaders and what they want from their country? For instance, will broadband be the thing that changes presidents in, in coming years? <laughs> Better Wi-Fi for everybody, free Wi-Fi. Is that where, are these the issues that people are going to start thinking about? I think that if you look at how African countries re responded to lockdown, um, the countries that went into lockdown very quickly, Malawi, Swaziland, Mauritius, Rwanda, they went into national lockdown with South Africa following suit on, on, on midnight on the 24th of March. Um, if you think about the relief offered by um, governments, um, I, I was looking at the benefits conferred by Egypt to, um, uh, to companies as well. I think what we see is leadership responding proactively in emerging markets. And, and, and the most amazing thing is, you know, after the Africa Free Trade Agreement, we never really, as the general public, heard more around what benefits we would get, etc. But we saw the AU convene special task committees. We saw our president um, as, as, as the chairperson of that committee. And I don't say chairman intentionally, um, <laughs> you know. Um, rally up and say, this is how we are going to work together to help each other for the benefit of our people. Because COVID-19 requires the same from companies as employers as it does from presidents and prime ministers as leaders. It's a toss-up mm. between, do I prioritize my economy or do I prioritize my people? And it's people first. It's always people first. Um, if I bring that back to the employer situation, who on this green earth, hoping, hoping it's still green, wants mm. to work for a company that will toss you out the moment times get bad. What a horrible place to work. So it's in, it's in your employee value proposition to, to make sure you create um, a human side to this and, and take care of your people because it's no good giving people 10-year service awards and a gold watch. When COVID-19 hits, you send them off in the taxi to go, go to the plant and work as an essential service person or you put them at home on unpaid leave and, and tell them to wait for the C-19 tours to come. Um, it, mm. it doesn't exactly give them a sense of, hey, you're in this with me. I think what we might be seeing 
with the with the electorate is an, aw- an awakening of what they really want out of leaders and out of corporates. Um, I think people have probably, we've never faced something like this before. And all of a sudden the chips are down and we're facing the wall. And I think those companies and those leaders that have stood up and helped us through it um, will have left left a legacy. We'll, We'll know what we want at the end of the day. I think in Africa, I think it's been interesting because... Um, if you if you look at the last big economic recession, emerging markets weren't as hit as uh, first world economies. If you look at SARS, if you look at MERS, if you look at Ebola, you know we thought listeriosis would be the one that would get us, but it didn't. Mm. Um, and and I think you know if you listen to I listen to Professor Karim with with such patriotism and like you know golly I come from a a cool set of <laughs> you know leaders are guiding me through this is that. Um, the idea of the lockdown is not that South Africa is now safe. We're not going to move from lockdown to open economy, Bob's your uncle, off we go to work. All we've done is bought us some time to track and isolate so we limit and contain infection, firstly, and secondly, so that we equip our hospitals and find a way to deal with this and potentially also find a vaccination or an injection to help us, mm-hmm. you know, with this. It's it's not, you're not okay. Like, you're not going to go to the office in, in two weeks' time and it's all good. It's it's not the solution. So, so when we look at what we want from leaders, we're looking through coronavirus and we're looking post-coronavirus. But mm. according to Professor Karim, he says post-coronavirus is post-September for South Africa. So, And I'm, I'm sure we've all seen the leaked BCG report that, that did the rounds as well. So we need to take these things, A, from where they come. We're not medical and uh, experts and we're not uh, you know, um, scientists. However, we do have information and we can take that information and make informed choices in terms of how we lead. And we are all leading in some or other capacity. We're all leading. Um, And also in, in, in saying that, that means it's not just what your employer can do for you, but what is going to be your take? Are you willing to take the salary deduction for a six month period with a potential renewal in order to save jobs? And, and that moves a company from shareholder capitalism to stakeholder capitalism. As a stakeholder in your company, are you willing to play your part for the benefit of everybody else? And it actually brings a concept of we're all in this together, maybe a little bit of socialism in it, who knows, but 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 it's a changed mindset for everybody. And that's the key thing. It's about changing our mindsets, uh, changing our mindsets to money, the way we do business, the way we handle our planet, the way we treat each other. There's so much to be learned from this. Yeah, even our carbon footprint. I mean, goodness, our, our coal might have gotten wet the other day with the heavy rains, but I, I think that we're, we're doing pretty well, and, and that should be a, a big, you know, lightning bolt to South Africa to say, stay at home and work, reduce your carbon footprint, you know, keep your coal because that's how you're generating electricity still, sadly, but that's a different conversation. Um, you know, so so let's keep it going. Charissa, thank you so much. Um, I believe that you've written a, a piece called the, the Great Reset. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? Okay, sure. So last week, Tuesday, and this week, Tuesday, I... Um, participated in the South African board practice panel. Um, And in that, I I initially had a lot to add on all the employee relations issues, but I realized I also had so much to learn from very esteemed and tenured HR executives and colleagues who who had shared very valuable insights into how they were going to deal with the the COVID-19 pandemic, um, looking at future of work uh, opportunities. Um, And there were some very 
key areas that they 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 they, they elaborated on. So. I was so dumbstruck that I sat there and just summarized as much information as I could and internalized it. Um, the first thing was whether this COVID-19 lockdown created some sort of great reset um, and what that looked like for a workplace. And, and it's a global concept, this great reset. Is it a great reset? People are saying we've called it the new normal. We've called it the abnormal. I, I'm, I'm not convinced that it's a new normal, but it certainly is a reset. Um, and I've addressed some of those aspects. I've also summarized a lot of the um, strategies on how to resume operations post-lockdown. So what kind of plan, pandemic plan or emergency crisis plan would you put in place now that the lockdown has been extended, if it is slightly relaxed but still in place? Um, and, and, and we look in the article around what that kind of crisis management looks like. Um, and a very key point that we, we interrogate is the correct attitude, so management, which is what we discussed, as well as using real-time technology and intelligence to make it possible to respond and keep a business-as-usual sense going, even if that's not the case. Um, we talk about trust and faith in the remote working relationship. And ultimately, we talk about wellness strategies because keeping people in isolation and calling Zoom chats, you know, virtual cocktails and fireside mm. chats, we can call it all kinds of endearing things. At the end of the day, it is a screen and people have moved from one extreme to the other. It hasn't been a phased future of work rollout where we engaged and consulted. We've just gone cold turkey and sent people home with their with, with their 3G cards. So we need we need to learn and teach employees in turn how to manage stress. Financial and emotional wellness is also as important. And we also look at what kind of resilience strategies we should be building in our employees for this and post this because of the stress of the the, the, the economy and the revenue generation of the business. Um, the final point is to look at options in relation to managing employee liability in terms of limited costs and um, retaining existing or changing existing conditions of employment and the options available to employers. I think these will be thing, uh, um, articles and advice that people will leap at as we move out of the COVID phase. Uh, people will be, will need some kind of a map to follow um, to see how they're going to manage their businesses and just what the next step should be. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sharisa, and thank you to all our listeners. Now, keep an eye out for further episodes in the Africa Legal Podcast. And if you have any topics or guests that you would like to have us feature, please feel free to get in touch. You can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or email. The details are all available on our Africa Legal website. Until next time, I've been Carol Campbell, and this has been the Africa Legal Podcast.